Veterans spend years fighting for their country, and many come out fighting injuries, mental, and chronic illnesses. You, you hear the words end-stage renal disease. Everything becomes uncertain. I didn't know how long I had to live. That's Durante Briggs, kidney transplant recipient, Gulf War veteran, and CEO of Veterans Transplantation Association. I'm Monica Fox, kidney transplant recipient and Director of Government Relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. On this episode of The Journey Continues, I'm speaking with Durante about his journey from diagnosis to CEO. Let's talk about your career. How long were you in the military? I was in the United States Army for approximately about uh, eight years, from 1986 until 1994. And you were in the military during a war, right? Yes, I was in the first Gulf War of 1991, which I did see a lot of destruction within that war, and um, which basically I had a lot of nightmares dealing with that. That does bring to mind the question a lot of veterans struggle with mental health and health issues related to their service. Is that something that you're dealing with? Yes, even today, um, I've been dealing with PTSD ever since the Gulf War. And yes, I do go for uh, to see a, a therapist. I do take medications. But that's all, all of that is to, to help me to deal with my mental health. But uh, having this kidney transplant and even prior to the kidney transplant and being on dialysis, it kind of enhanced my mental health with me having PTSD. So tell me how your kidney disease journey started. Well, my kidney disease started back in 1991, about December 1991. I was having an out-processing physical at Fort Hood, Texas. While doing the lab work, it showed that my kidneys were leaking protein. And that started the journey for kidney disease in 1991. You were leaving the military and that was when your kidney disease was discovered? Absolutely. It was discovered on our processing physical. Do they relate your kidney disease to being in the military at all? Yes. Yes. It is related to being in the military because actually during the Gulf War, we had to take a series of vaccinations. And one of the vaccinations that I received was the anthrax vaccination. You know, it, it caused some other issues that a lot of veterans were having. But with me, it triggered other issues relating to um, hypertension because I never had hypertension at all prior to going in the military and even up to going to the Gulf War theater, I didn't have hypertension. Oh my goodness. You, you go into the military and serve your country and come out with a chronic illness and emotional and mental health issues. Do you feel supported by the Veterans Administration for your care? You know, absolutely. I, I have, have not had any issues with my medical team since I've been in, dealing with kidney disease or any other issues for the Department of Veteran Affairs. When my first visit dealing with the Department of Veteran Affairs was um, in Hampton, Virginia. And I've always had good care. Even today, I have good care dealing with my transplant, my primary care physician, even with COVID-19 today. My, my care is still excellent, you know, with telehealth and, you know, being able to reach out and talk to my primary care physician or either 
my kidney specialist, my nephrologist to if there's any question that I have, whether it's medication or anything that I'm dealing with. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you feel supported in your medical care. Do you feel like that is unique, like you are kind of unique in your situation or do most veterans feel like they have excellent health care like you do? To be honest, a lot of veterans don't feel the way that I do. Um, a lot of a lot of veterans may have different issues and they're not receiving the standard of care that they really need. And one thing that I, I realize is that being a veteran and my suggestion to other veterans is you have to be you have to advocate for your health. You got to be able to read up and understand what you're dealing with so you can have that one on one conversation with your doctor so they can understand where you're coming from. You can't go in there and, and you're talking to your primary care physician or you're trying to get help. I know we you know dealing with the mental health, but you have to turn that PTSD and that mental health side a notch down so that the physicians can understand what you are dealing with health wise. Mm, that makes good sense. That's really powerful. Thank you for that. So you learned of your kidney disease diagnosis. Then what happened? Um, I went to, started working at the Virginia Department of Corrections. But at that time, my mother was dealing with early stages of kidney disease. She ended up having to go on dialysis in 1994, right after she retired. With her being on dialysis, you know, it, it kind of educated me a little bit of what she was dealing with. But I, I never thought that I would find myself walking that same path uh, several years later. Going to the appointments with her, they talked to her about uh, transplantation. They talked to, talked to her about, you know, the phosphorus, dealing with the whole process and then trying to understand what she was dealing with. So that kind of gave me a little education, but it did not give me the magnitude of ed education when it came to myself. So you went from fighting for your country to being diagnosed with kidney disease to being a caregiver for your mother. Yes. Who was on peritoneal dialysis at home. Yes. Wow. So then where did your journey take you? After my mother uh, passed away in 2006 from kidney disease and, and heart failure and she had a stroke, you know, it was a, a great amount of depression there and on top of them with the PTSD. And but I had to realize I still had to take care of myself, but I did go to my appointments, um, maintaining my focus on my health, dealing with kidney disease and, and trying to maintain. But it was hard to maintain that because I ended up gaining weight. It was 2008. I was on my way to work. I started having headaches. So I went to the emergency room in Hampton, Virginia. And the doctor that um, evaluated me, she said, Mr. Bridge, your, your blood pressure is extremely high. So we're going to take you out of um, work for a couple of weeks until we get your blood pressure down. But the thing about it, it was too late. The damage had already happened to my kidneys. I would say two months after her continued to um, evaluate me, it was determined that I would end up um, probably starting dialysis soon. So that's when she referred me to um, an nephrologist where I had to get an AV fishler. And um, after I had the AV fishler put in, I went back to my primary care physician and she advised me that I could no longer work because of the AV fishler and that I would be starting dialysis soon. 
And at that moment right there, it, it kind of changed my life. It was like my life stopped. You, you hear the words end-stage renal disease. Everything becomes uncertain. I didn't know how long I had to live. Wow, I can't work no more. How am I going to take care of my four daughters? But after I retired, that's when I started dialysis. Immediately started dialysis the next day. Where I got hooked up to the machine, which I call the machine of life. And how did you feel while you were on, on dialysis? And what did you do to keep your focus and keep your spirits up? Well, after um, the first couple of times being on the dialysis machine, I, I looked around, observed the other veterans that was hooked up on dialysis, on the hemodialysis machine. And I, I noticed that pretty much, you know, they were just sleeping. I didn't see anybody doing anything. So I said, no, I don't want to be like those guys. I want to do something to educate myself. So I would bring my, my laptop in with me and just read. And I just kept reading about everything that I was dealing with. And then the thought came in my mind, hey, why don't you write a book about your experience to help other veterans and not only other veterans, but to help other individuals that's on that, that journey of, of dealing with uh, dialysis. So what kind of book did you write? And what's the name of it? The title was Motivational Poetry for Individuals on Dialysis. And basically, I wrote each poem related to the dialysis machine, which I call a machine of life. I wrote poems related to the diet, things that we're supposed to do, what we educate the teachers when we first get on the dialysis machine, how to deal with the mental health, how to deal with stand, being active, and just try to have a positive outlook on things. And um, that's something that I wanted to do. And by writing that book, it uplifted me during the whole entire process, you know, up, up until the time that I received my kidney transplant. So helping others, doing something that would help others in turn help you too. You're awesome. Thanks for doing that. Hey, thank you. When did you become aware that transplant was a possibility for you? Back in 2009, a year after starting um, hemodialysis, I was advised that I'd be a good candidate to receive a kidney transplant. So I was sent to the Department of Veteran Affairs and I went to Pittsburgh, had to work up. I met the surgeon and he was like, well, Mr. Briggs, yes, everything looks good. Hopefully you can get a kidney transplant within six years, six to seven years. And I'm saying to myself, wow, that's a long time, six to seven years to be on the dialysis machine. After, you know, returning back to the VA hospital, which at that time I was at the Hampton Veteran uh, Hospital. But then I decided to relocate and I relocated to the Department of Veteran Affairs in Washington, D.C. And transferring there was a great blessing because immediately within 2010, I was advised again that I'd be a good candidate for a uh, kidney transplant. And I was referred to a special program that Walter Reed had for combat veterans. So I went to Walter Reed, I did the workup. Once again, there they told me I'd um, be a good candidate you know, for the kidney transplant and just told me just stand by and be ready. So, and that was in 2010, on October the, October the 23rd of 2012, I got that phone call and I received that gift of life, the second chance at life. And here I am today. 
Oh, that's great. Tell me about that phone call that changed your life, that saved your life. What was that like? On October the 22nd was when I received the phone call. So I answered the phone and a gentleman came. I heard a voice. He said, this is Sergeant um, Jones from Walter Reed uh, Transplant Center. Hey, we have a kidney for you. Do you want the kidney? What? Sarge, what you mean? Do I want the kidney? Yeah, I want the kidney. Absolutely. Yes, I want the kidney. He said, well, how long did it take you to get here? I said, I can get there within 15 minutes. By the time it took me to get to my vehicle, I arrived at Walter Reed within 20 minutes. And I'm going to tell you, I was so excited. They couldn't get my blood pressure down because I was so excited. <laughs> it was like, okay, we're going to get you all prepped. And went up on the fourth floor and I just laid there. And, you know, they said, okay, well, you're going to go into surgery about five o'clock in the morning. Now, my window was on the out. I had an outside window where I can see where it was near the helicopter pad, the landing pad. So every time I see a helicopter, I'm like, ooh, that's my kidney. That's my kidney. My kidney coming. Nurse came in and she said, I said, uh, nurse, I said, that my kidney just arrived? She said, no, sir. She said, actually, your kidney missed the flight. And it's supposed to be coming from North Carolina. So it's going to be a couple hours late. I was like, oh, wow. She said, don't worry about it, but it's coming. It's coming. So finally, I went to sleep. I think I went to sleep about 3 o'clock that morning. And once I got into a deep sleep, the nurse came in and she said, all right, Mr. Briggs, it's time to go downstairs. I went into surgery about 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. And I woke up at 11-something a.m., and I had that, that new kidney inside of me. And I was like, yes. I was ready to get up and walk around. Like, it was like, no, no, Mr. Briggs, you can't get up yet. Lay back down. Lay back down. I said, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I said, I got to go. She said, don't worry about it. You got a catheter in you right now. So you, have, you, you just lay here for right there. <laughs> Oh, I love that story. And I can just envision you driving from D.C. to Maryland. That was the drive of life. And you just, I can imagine that excitement. I could feel it just from you telling the story. That was just so. Once you got your transplant, where did you go from there? You got your transplant. There's, you know, process of healing and all that. But, you know, you didn't just sit back and relax on that. What did you do next? With the last visit with my sur transplant surgeon, he basically advised me. He said, Mr. Briggs, we did not give you this kidney to sit in a rocking chair. We want you to get out here in the community, advocate, spread the word about kidney transplant, and just make a difference. And I've been doing that ever since my doctor told me that and just getting out in the community advocating uh, for different organizations, Living Legacy Foundation, being in, in the community, sharing knowledge, sharing my story, especially in, in the African-American community because of the fact that they don't believe in organ, tissue, and eye donation. So I had to go out into the, the inner city of Baltimore and share my story so they could see that somebody that looked like them really is living proof that you can receive an organ donation by somebody signing up to be a, a living, whether a living donor or a deceased donor, that you can have that second chance in life. So I just advocated 
several years and volunteered a year for 2014, 15, 16, 17 for Living Legacy Foundation. But um, I competed um, and I became a part of the Team Maryland, which is a, a team of transplant recipients. Every other year we commute, we go to different parts of the United States and compete in transplant games, Olympic style games with basketball, track and field, swimming. With me, it was track and field. I won two gold medals. I won uh, the gold medal for high jump, four by 100 meter relay, the 100 meter dash. And I never forget after the transplant games during dinner, one of my teammates, her name is Sonia. She basically mentioned to me, she said, you have a gift with you being a veteran. Have you ever thought about uh, doing something for the veterans, have a nonprofit? And immediately she planted that seed. Within two weeks, I started doing the paperwork and I formed Veterans Transplantation Association. And that's when it was formed in August of 2016, a few weeks after the transplant games in Cleveland, Ohio. So what is the mission of the Veterans Transplantation Association? Well, the, the, the mission of Veteran Transplantation Association is to provide resources for those veterans in need of a transplant or dealing with some type of disease that can lead to a transplant. Well, we give them the educational material to educate them on the process of what they're dealing with. Because I wanted to, them to have the information that I did not have. The benefits from the Department of Veteran Affairs and different organizations that um, DTA, that we basically have some form of partnership and we work together to do things in the community to educate those, those veterans and non-veterans. That's just wonderful. You know, just listening to your journey, it's obvious that there are lots of holes along the way, lots of places where you had to push forward for yourself. And like you said, advocate for yourself. And many people don't have that initiative. So it sounds like your organization will um, help with that. So what advice do you have for other veterans who are facing kidney disease and uh, potential transplantation? One thing, you have to be able to become your own advocate. Learn what you're dealing with. Educate yourself so that you can ask your specialist that, that question that you may not have the answer to. And get into support groups. Be around individuals that can help you cope with what you're dealing with, whether it's mental health, because mental health is going to be there because of the fact that of the things that you may be dealing with from the disease, dealing with from transplantation, from dealing with the side effects of the medication from transplantation. So all of these things that we're going to be dealing with, but you have to advocate. When you go to get your lab work, know your numbers and know what your numbers mean before you even see your physician. That way you can educate your physician and let your physician know, hey, I'm on top of my care. And, and that's very important. Durante, tell me, what major projects is VTA working on? It's a um, retreat to have a couple of cottages on seven acres of land with a prayer garden, memorial garden, with a, a, a wall, memorial wall with a water fountain, 
coming out where we plan on having a grave place on the bricks of veteran family members who are suffering with any type of transplanted related disease that I've already deceased from kidney disease or any, any form of disease where they'll be able to just come get away in a rural area and remember their loved ones. So that's something that, you know, we're in the phase, phase two of it right now and we continue to move forward and hopefully this project will be completed within the next two years. That sounds like a great project. I look forward to seeing it come to fruition and I look forward to talking to you about it and visiting once it happens. One last question. Please tell the veterans and their families who are listening where they can go to learn more about your organization. Everyone out there in the radio land, you listen on this podcast. You may go to www.govta.org. All right, that's www.govta.org. Yes. To learn more about Veterans Transplantation Association. So thank, thank you. you so much, Durante. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. Did you know that there are just 13 Veterans Administration transplant centers across the country? That means veterans who don't live near a transplant center have a lower chance of receiving their life-saving gift. With more than 1,800 enrolled and medically eligible veterans undergoing transplant evaluation every year, the need is great. Durante and his team are doing important work with the Veterans Transplantation Association to try to ease the burden on these heroes. To support the Veterans Transplantation Association or learn more, visit govta.org. At NKFI, prevention is a major part of our mission. That's why at the end of each episode, you will hear a nutrition tip. Here's Dr. Melissa Prest. Here is today's nutrition tip about healthy eating. Do you have high blood pressure or heart disease or kidney disease or all three? Have you heard of the Mediterranean diet or the DASH diet? Confused about which foods are best for you? Well, this tip is for you. The DASH diet or dietary approaches to stop hypertension has been well studied for its effects on blood pressure management. The main principles of the DASH diet include eating lots of non-starchy vegetables, fruits, choosing low-fat dairy, moderate amounts of fish, seafood, poultry, along with legumes, nuts, seeds, and less sodium. The DASH diet allows for limited quantities of red meat, sweets, and sugar-sweetened beverages. The Mediterranean diet is a way of eating from people who live along the Mediterranean Sea. While there are differences in the foods eaten along the Mediterranean Sea, the principles are similar, with the focus on vegetables, fruits, whole grains, nuts, and vegetable oils. Fish is suggested to be eaten at least twice a week, and poultry and dairy are to be consumed in moderation. Like the DASH diet, the Mediterranean diet recommends meats and sweets to be consumed less often. Both diets are high in potassium, magnesium, fiber, and lower in saturated fat, which are all important for blood pressure management and heart disease management. So which one should you choose? Well, whichever one is easy and appetizing for you. If you're someone who prefers baked chicken with brown rice and grilled summer squash, 
go for the dash style of eating. If you prefer tomato salad with couscous, olives, cucumbers, and garbanzo beans, go for a Mediterranean style of eating. The best diet is the one that you can stick with and enjoy. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.